Luke chapter 21. And this is a complicated text, so excuse me as I, as I have to set up all, all of my various and sundry notes. Um, well, it would be amazing if I actually powered it on. All right, so let's, let's try this again. Okay, so if you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. We're going to be reading verses uh, 25 through 28. Please rise with me to stand out of the reverence of reading of God's Word. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and waves people feigning with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. You may be seated. We have been in the book of Luke for seven years now, and I can assure you that seven years ago, I did not sit down and map this out so that this sermon would fall on the Sunday before an election. Um, It's a beautiful thing when you see God's providence ordaining that exactly the text that we need to deal with is what's presented. Let's back up a little bit, remember where we are. Jesus had been teaching in the temple. He is leaving after teaching, makes a comment to his disciples, or overhears someone say, man, this is a beautiful building. And he goes, you know what? Not one stone on this place is going to be left standing. The people who he said it to asked the question, teacher, when will these things be? And what will the sign when these things are about to take place? And here in Luke 21, in Matthew 24, in Mark 16, we have Jesus' response to that question. And it is the longest response Jesus gives to any question. The text that we're dealing with today, Jesus essentially sums up the book of the Revelation and then gives application. It is unbelievable how much information is packed in this text. So, The text that we looked at last week where Jesus, alluding to the day of the Lord, alluding to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., says there will be great earthquakes and various places, famines and pestilence. There will be tears and great signs from heaven. That There will be a great persecution. That is really a summation of the seven seals. If you think back to the book of Revelation, and again, I know I said this last week, but Matt and I are doing a podcast Uh, And those of you that don't know what a podcast is, uh, if you go on Facebook, every Friday when that drops, you can literally just click the link and listen to it. We are walking through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, the book of Revelation. And in chapter 6, you deal with the seals. Jesus literally takes the title deed to earth. He's the only person who has the right to, to that title deed. And anytime there's a legal document in that, that world, there are seals on the outside of it that show the legitimacy of it, see, show whose authority that that document has been sealed by, et cetera, et cetera. And so Jesus begins popping those wax seals off of the scroll. 
as he does so, the world starts becoming unraveled. What Jesus sum, sums up in this, we see in those six seals. We see that there's uh, uh, an angel that comes, and his job is to bring the nations where they're all arguing and fussing with each other. The next seal brings actual war. Whenever there's saber rattling, that ultimately leads to war. And so there's open conflict between the nations. The next seal causes pestilence and disease. And as those seals pop off, we see the natural order of earth just falling apart, both the political order and the natural order of seasons and what happens in the stars at night, all of that starts falling apart. And that last seal, the seventh seal, when Jesus pops it, the Bible says that there's silence in heaven. The angels and the, the throng who had just been singing to the Lamb says, oh, whoa, this is a big deal. And so seven angels come out with seven trumpets, and after that silence for about a half an hour, The seven angels start blowing their trumpets. The first angel blows his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood are thrown upon the earth. A third of the earth is burnt up, a third of the trees are burnt up, and all green grass on the earth is burnt up. The second angel blows his trumpet, and the text says something like a great mountain burning with fire is thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea becomes blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea die, and a third of the ships in the sea are destroyed. The third angel blows his trumpet, and a great star falls from heaven, blazing like a torch, and a third of the rivers and the springs of water are made where you can't drink it. So a third of the fresh water is made to where it can't be drank. The fourth angel blows his trumpet, and a third of the sun is struck so that the sun is no longer as bright as it is. It's a third less bright. A third of the moon disappears, a third of the stars, so that a third of their light may be darkened, and a third of the day may be kept from shining, and likewise, a third of the night. And then I looked and heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. And so here, as these trumpets are being blasted, the earth is just falling apart. There are maybe meteors, I don't know, something like a great mountain. John couldn't describe it, falls into the sea. Everything is falling apart. Jesus is describing this in Matthew 24. So now we know he's shifted from talking about what was, remember we talked about in prophecy, you have a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. The near fulfillment of what we see in this text in Matthew 24 is the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., and it was terrible. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said that the, the, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. is a kind of dress rehearsal of what is yet to be. The temple is destroyed so that, as Jesus said, not one stone is standing on the other. If you go to Jerusalem today, the holiest site in all of Judaism is nothing more than the retaining wall that was underneath the temple because the temple ain't there anymore. It was completely and utterly wiped out. You can literally still see stones laying in rubble around the outside of that wailing wall that have scorch marks up the side of it from that event in 70 A.D. Thousands of people were starved out. Thousands of people died. And those people that were left were escorted into Rome and sold 
all of those, the table of showbread, all of the, the implements from the temple that had been returned by Cyrus after the first temple's destruction are now taken to Rome and sold. In fact, if you go look and if you go to Rome today, that big, huge ark that's always in every romantic comedy ever made that sets in Rome, there's this big, beautiful arch, the Arc de Triomphe. If you look at the frieze on that ark, it is the siege and taking of Rome. And there are pictures of Roman soldiers walking with the menorah over his shoulder, carved in the side of that thing. Not really romantic, so they don't do a whole lot of close-ups of that. But all of the, the, the residents of Jerusalem were sold into slavery. Rome went so far as to change the name of the country from Israel to Palestine because the Israelis ain't there no more. We have hauled them off. So the first part of this is Jesus is talking about if you're pregnant, you, you, it's, it's sad. Clearly he's referring to 70 AD, but now he's shifted gears. He goes from saying that, okay, so we know that there's going to be uh, wars, there's going to be kingdom rising against kingdom, there's going to be great persecution. We looked at that last week and said, when has that not been the case? When has there not been wars? Every year on the 10th of November, uh, all around the world, Marines will have a birthday party. In fact, any, uh, if you know anybody who's in the Marine Corps, they'll tell each other happy birthday on the 10th of November. That's, and so they have a Marine Corps ball. Every, all over the place. There'll be one, I guarantee, in Etowah County. The Marine Corps League will have one. And there's a tradition at the Marine Corps Ball that the youngest Marine and the oldest Marine will cut the cake. There's always a big fancy cake, and they cut the cake, and that they get to eat cake first while you're sitting there going, come on, let's go, let's go. i got to get my piece of cake. And, and so the youngest Marine and the oldest Marine, and they'll read a little snip of the history of the Marine Corps. And almost always it's like out of 267 years of existence, the Marine Corps has seen active combat for 250 of those years. There's never been a time when there hadn't been some kind of war going on. Humans are most creative when it comes to killing each other. There's never been a time when there hadn't been an earthquake somewhere my whole life. I can remember as a little kid, one of my earliest memories is of an earthquake in Guatemala and one of the teachers at CUSA going on a mission trip to help with those people. It was a huge earthquake that, that I think it was actually like 8.1 on the Richter scale. I went to an earthquake in a city called Vaughn, which was a massive earthquake. It didn't make a lot of news here because it was kind of in a rural area, but the earth actually, the people who, who told me about it said that the ground, it looked like a wave coming across the ground, wave after wave. There was one of the missionaries that I, I was friends with. He was in an apartment building, and he realized what was happening, and he knew not to go down the elevator, so he went to the fire escape. He had a toddler and his baby, and he goes down the fire escape and gets to the bottom, and somebody had chained the fire escape shut. And so he's stuck in this little cage. As he said, he looked out across the field next to the apartments, and it looked like the ocean as waves of earth are coming toward him, and that building just rocking and rolling. I know when we were there, we had aftershocks that were in the six on the Richter scale, and you got to the point to where it, I, we slept on the ground. I'm, would, we were on the top floor of the apartment, and you'd be looking up, and you wouldn't feel it at first. You would see the uh, chandeliers start swinging, and then you would start feeling it, and then you, everything in you said, I've got to get out of this building now. Surely this thing's going to end as that building rocked back and forth. 
Well, there's always been earthquakes. There's always been conflict. There's always been pestilence, disease. If you look at the the history of Western Europe, it seems like there's wave after wave to the point where people are naming the same disease different things. We have some diseases that went through London and killed half the population of the city, and we don't even know what it was. As people wrote about it, they called it the sweating disease, but we don't know what caused it. We don't know what sickness caused it. We just know that you would be fine, and then all of a sudden you'd start sweating really bad, and then the next day you were dead. When the Black Plague went through England, there would be cases where people would come in and find where a family had died and some people had broken in the house to steal all their stuff and then the robbers got the sickness and died in the house because it killed them so quickly. The reason why today if somebody sneezes you say God bless you is because when the Black Plague was going through Europe, if you sneezed, it was good knowing you. Go with God over there. Right? We know a little bit about disease today. I look around the room and there's quite a few people who are wearing masks or at least have them in their pockets. We know that diseases passed somehow from, from breathing on each other, from licking doorknobs, all that kind of stuff, and disease comes in waves. In fact, I don't know about you, but I, in the news, they've, they've been acting like we're all about to drop over dead any minute now. The, even the little Gadsden Times, the headlines twice this week have been, it's the worst it's ever been. There are more active cases now than ever. There's more deaths now than ever. Ah! And so we read that first section and we go, oh, well, that's kind of life, and I can see that it's getting a little bit worse But that's kind of normal, right? That's normal existence. It's always been that way. But now Jesus shifts into some stuff that we don't see. I've never seen a third of the sky disappear. That Whatever is that like a mountain that's cast into the sea throws up so much ash and garbage into the atmosphere that a third of the sun is gone. Global warming ain't going to be a thing. In fact, I think it was 1850 after Krakatoa erupted, Europe had the the year without a summer because there was so much volcanic ash and stuff in the air that Europe went through a whole summer that it never got above 50 degrees. Crops obviously couldn't grow in that. The famine and pestilence that, that came out of that was horrid. And so these things are different. The sun failing, the moon failing. And if you look closely at what Jesus says, it's not all of that stuff that causes turmoil. He says, there'll be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on earth, distresses of nation and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. This is what's going to be destructive. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the earth. Panic will set in. People will be afraid, and fear is a destructive force. Right now, in the United States, our suicide rate has doubled because people reading the news, reading about the COVID's coming, are afraid. 
I've, I've read it both ways, but the, the statistics are, have got to be close that more people are dying from suicide than dying from the disease itself. People are afraid. And here we see this fear becoming gripping and panic-inducing so that people do crazy things, that foreboding, that sense of dread. Those of you who have lost a spouse have described to me waking up the next morning and the shock of realizing it wasn't a dream, this is real. That foreboding, that weight of something horrible going on just rests on all the earth. The Greek word that's used here for on the world is literally all the inhabited world. All human beings will have this feeling of weight on their chest that it's all coming to an end. But Jesus says something really, really, really strange. You would think I mean, after everything that I've said, I, I told Ann, this is going to be a really heavy sermon. This is going to be a really dark sermon. And I've got to think of some funny stories or something as commercial breaks to throw in here or, or everybody's going to leave here depressed. And so all weekend I've been going, I can't think of anything. i got nothing. I mean, how do you go from, well, so the, the sun falls out of the sky and turns to blood. So it reminds me of a story about my dog. I mean, it's just not an easy transition, right? You can't, I, so I got nothing for you here, but Jesus takes us in a direction that you wouldn't think. He's just described. There's destruction. The whole earth is falling apart. Everything you know and love is going to be destroyed. If you read through those, the six seal or seven seals lead to the seven trumpets. The seven trumpets lead, lead on to the seven vials, and at the end of that, every building on earth is destroyed. Every structure on earth is in, is, is in rubble. Everything's falling apart. How would you say, describe this as Jesus is summarizing what we'll see in the book of Revelation and then end it on a happy note? Yeah, everything you love is going to be destroyed, but he does. Look what he says. He doesn't say, so be afraid. He said that before when he was talking about the destruction of Israel. Remember, he said, if you're, alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, because there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against the people. Woe, woe, woe is what the eagle that flies overhead said. And yet Jesus ends this and says, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your head, because your redemption is drawing near. What in the world are you talking about? Now, a little language lesson here. I, 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 I'm, I don't speak and read Greek fluently, so I, I try not to act like I do. But this word is interesting because when I first read this, straighten up, those of you that grew up in the South know what straighten up means, right? You're riding in the back of the car. Back when I did, we, we stood there right in the back of the car. I still have a permanent indention across my chest where my mom would do this whenever we would break. I was riding with mom the other, uh, about a couple of months ago, she, I was driving and stopped at a red light and she did this. And I'm like, I, I'm wearing a seatbelt, mom. I got, I got this. I can hold my head up pretty good at this age. I'm 50. I, I'm pretty good. So straighten up. That's, hey, straighten up. I remember one time I was sitting, I'm, here's a funny story. This is a commercial break. I just, just, just came to me. One of them just came to me. Um... <laughs> 
I was sitting in church one time, and I came up with this idea, this thing in my mind that if I forced air through my teeth and made that kind of weird sound that nobody could hear it but me. I don't know why I thought this. And so I, I'm, we were in a business meeting or, or something really boring. And so I'm sitting there making this noise and mom turns to me and says, straighten yourself up. And so I'm like, well, she can't hear this. So I don't know what she's talking about. And so I kept doing it. And then she just pinched the fire out of me. And then I went, oh, and then, then everybody knew that something was going on. And so straighten up means straighten up. But that's not at all what Luke is saying here. In fact, this is a medical term that's only used in the Bible by Luke. Uh, Luke is a doctor. He's the only, the only, it's used twice in the Bible. It's used in this text, and then he uses it when talking about a miracle. And, and the miracle is in Luke 13, and he says, Behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. We've all seen that little old lady at Walmart, Right? She'd been 18 years, she couldn't straighten herself up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. She was made straight, and where this text says straighten up are the same words. She's bent over. And then she straightens up. What, is, what does Luke say? Or what does Jesus say? He says, straighten up and raise your head. Now here's what we could do. He says, when you see these things starting. Now, whether Jesus comes back tomorrow or he comes back in 300 years, we know that today we're closer to his return than human beings have ever been. And we can read this text, and we can see these things starting. We're here. We're living this. Nation rising against nation. The, earth, the birth pains are increasing. I shared with you all this statistic last week about how wars are increasing and increasing and increasing. They're increasing in their destructiveness. They're increasing in their, their reach. They're de- increasing in their ability to, to go everywhere on earth. Disease is increasing. Earthquakes are increasing. Those birth pains are getting closer and closer and harder and harder. We're here. We're living thee when you see these things begin. So Jesus' word to straighten up is directly to us. So we've got to figure out what he's saying because this is talking to you and me. What does he mean by straighten up and lift your head? We've got a choice right now. Actually, let me tell this in a different way. I have a friend who's a cop. He's not a Christian. He didn't go to church. I, I, I don't know his eternal soul, but he didn't, didn't go to church. He's not a church guy. Uh, a couple of months ago, he said to me, you guys say that you have faith in God. But after watching how churches acted during COVID, I don't believe it. Because you ran to the hills just like everybody else. You acted afraid just like everybody else. I don't think your faith is in God. I think your faith is in medicine and modern society just like everybody else's. And that's percolated in me 
And this is what Jesus is talking about. As things come, now this is, I'm not at all suggesting, and I was talking to, to William and some of the guys as we prayed this morning, and I said, I don't, God is not saying that we need to go around and lick doorknobs. Jesus said, don't tempt the Lord your God. I'm not, if I go running down the middle of 431 and I get hit by a car, that isn't because God didn't protect me. That's because I'm an idiot. There's a difference. We've got a choice as we go through life right now. We can stay hunched over looking at everything that the world is doing. Oh, no, there's this election coming. What if Biden gets elected and he takes away our guns? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if I get sick and die of the COVIDs? What if, what if, what if, and I'm looking around at the world. I'm looking around at everything on the ground. I'm keeping my focus on my next step only. I'm living my life for this world. I can do that. Most Christians do that. They read the paper or AL.com a whole lot more than they do their Bible. I can do that or I can straighten up and lift up my head and look to the clouds who Jesus is coming back on. Now, I'm not saying pie in the sky that go do whatever you want to do and just Jesus is going to protect me because that's not biblical either. That's Again, that's tempting the Lord your God. What I'm saying is, is you can either let the stuff of this world impact the way you live your life today or you can let the stuff of that book impact your life today. One or the other. You can't do both. I may die from COVID. Who cares? Because God help me, please, when I die, I want to die on my feet fighting for my king. I do not want to die on my back afraid. Winston Churchill said, if we die from the bombs, let them find us. Let the bombs find us supping with our family, living life. Live life for your king. And we're, we're so, there's so little logic in the way that we're afraid. It doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, we've, we laugh about the fact that 11 at a time you can get on the field and you can run into each other and you can throw each other down. You can get sweat and blood all over each other. But the coves will jump all over if you shake hands after the game. Now, how does that work? I had a guy at the gym. We are at Wilmore working out, sweating all over that equipment. And he goes, he literally said to me, and if you're watching today, I'm not picking on you and I'm not going to say your name. Um, I just don't feel comfortable getting out to church. I'm like, you're an idiot. We're in the gym. Right now you're covered in my sweat. We can stare at what's going on in this world and live our lives in fear. God has not called us to live a life of fear. And fear will cripple you a whole lot faster than COVID will. If I die, I die. Again, I'm not saying be stupid. I'm not saying go to holy name and start French kissing everybody. I'm not supposed to say French kissing. Um, 
and smooch it on everybody who's got COVID and say, well, God will protect me. We're not handling snakes in here because that's, that's not what we're talking about. But I'm saying, live your life for your king. You've got a choice. Now, Jesus takes it even further because he, he has the ability to go deep. And this is where we're going to park. This, all that's been introduction. So I hope the crock pot's on low. He says, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Raise your head. Why? Not just, he's not saying do this just because. He's not saying just do it because you're Christians. Just do this because. He says, because your redemption is drawing near. Now we got to unpack that. In the Gospels, this word for redemption is used only once. Now, Paul loved this word. This is the picture of the word redemption. Redemption means one of two things. One, you're kidnapped, and somebody has to pay a ransom. It was very common in, in these days as a way to make money would be for me to go kidnap somebody that had a rich family and hold them hostage until their family paid me. And so when you came and paid me, you redeemed your loved one, and they were returned to you. That's one of the meanings of this word. The other meaning of this word is a slave being bought and freed. So imagine, if you will, you're captured by someone who's stronger than you, better armed than you. You're taken someplace that you don't know. You're surrounded by architecture that's unfamiliar. People are speaking a language you don't understand. You're stripped naked and stood in front of the crowds so that a bid could be placed on you. You know no matter what happens, your future does not look bright. So a bidding starts. Said if I, said if I, I don't know if you've ever gone to a cattle auction. I remember one time, uh, oh, here's another one I just thought of. Uh, we in Coleman County had a cattle auction, and the cattle auction was not only the place where everybody bought cattle, that was also because this was Coleman, was the place where all major business deals were done. They had a cafeteria, and in that cafeteria, they had one of the best tenderloin biscuits you've ever eaten in your life. I would take the kids, and they would get BLTs and chocolate milk. They, it was one of their fondest memories. So you, everybody went to the cattle auction. Every Thursday, you'd go to the cattle auction. So, and then usually after you ate breakfast and glad-handed with everybody and all the real estate agents gave you their cards and yada, yada, yada. You would go sit in the cattle auction for a little while and see what, what, what quality cows are coming through. I bought goats at the cattle auction. Uh, that, that, I, I remember buying goats and realizing that, hey, I don't have an enclosed trailer, so I had to carry the goats home in the back of Dad's truck with a camper shell, and they did not like that at all. So I, I, had, uh, I was doing a project. I was working for a company, and we were doing a big project at the Eye Foundation, and I had gotten pink eye. Bacterial pink on one eye, but you can't miss the cattle auction, and I wasn't going to shake anybody's hands, and, and so I went to the cattle auction. And so we were, I was sitting uh, in there watching the cattle auction, and um, there was a particular big bull that came in that, man, the bidding was getting high on this big old Angus bull sitting there, and everybody's just looking. The, the value placed on that bull is what he can do, and ultimately that what he, who he can feed. And the bid is getting higher and higher, and the bid's up $1,200. 
And at one point, the auctioneer, I realized that the reason the bidding was going up is because I had pink eye, and I kept doing this. And I was buying a bull. And so I sat on my hands. And thankfully, the other guy wanted that bull more than I didn't want it. So I didn't have to take a bull home in the back of my dad's truck. And that farmer to this day probably hates my guts because I pushed the price of that bull up to $1,500 instead of $700, what he could have gotten it for, all because I had pink eye. Imagine, though, you're standing in that auction block. And all that you are, all that you have become has been reduced to what you can do for somebody that buys you. That's where we live. Now, we don't think of our lives that way, but that's exactly how Paul describes it in Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, and it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Every believer in here, this is where we live. Every one of us, at one point or the other in our day, go, why did I do that? Now, In our flesh, our natural desire, everything in you that is your flesh, when you get frustrated, you want to go get tore up. You don't have to deal with it. You want to adulter. You you want in your flesh, when somebody smarts off to you, you want to punch them square in the face. As uh, we were doing the the podcast on dying to ourselves, and I, I said, if I ever utter the words, You know what? That means that I have just stepped off in the flesh. If somebody's arguing with me, I go, okay, you know what? Let me me tell you what I think. I mean, there are some people that desperately need to be punched in the mouth, and I want to be that guy. I want to help them as they go through their life to be better human beings, and they need a butt whooping. Bad. And in my flesh, I want to do that for them. Every one of us have the sins that beset you, that you struggle with. If it's worry, you know you can fix this if God would just listen to you. And you roll through your mind, and you can't get it out of your mind. You own that worry. You roll it around in your mouth like a hard candy. If your struggle is with lust, you... Fight it every day. And it's just, we were talking in Jeff's Sunday school class about this very subject. And of course, since it's the day after Halloween, all of us pointed to the fact that 
Nobody went to bed last night and said, yes, I ate healthy today. I mean, I'll just have the one Reese cup. It'll be fine. I'll just get this little handful, and the next thing you know, you got a packet of wrappers around your feet. And as Philip said, your wife's taking pictures of it, putting it on Facebook. <laughs> and we know that after you eat all that sugar and nasty stuff that you're going to feel terrible. We know it. We know that we're going to be like, what is it the ladies always say? That's going to go straight to my hips. We know we don't need to do that. And then afterwards we go, why did I do that? Every time I walk into Waffle House, I walk out and go, that was a mistake. So why do we do it? Their flesh in us is pulling us one way, and then we've got the Holy Spirit in us pulling us the other way. Now, day by day by day, we're getting a little bit better. I haven't punched anybody in the mouth in a long time. The sins that we struggle against, the Holy Spirit's working. And day by day, we're improving. We're getting better. The Holy Spirit's working. Things are changing. But it's still day after day after day, we're fighting against this. We're struggling with it. We have to go to people and say, I am so sorry that I was a jerk. Will you please forgive me? I don't know why I was a jerk. I just, you know what? I'm just a jerk. Just, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. To the point that Paul in this text says, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I know it's killing me. It's killing me spiritually. It's killing me physically. It's a body of death. And even secret sins, God knows, and it will rot your soul. You may think if you're looking at something on the computer you don't need to be looking at that nobody knows. I'm just hurting myself. No, beloved. It is rotting your soul. It is crushing your spouse. It is crushing your kids. And that cycle of sin, guilt, is just the struggle of the Christian walk that we battle every day. Thanks be to God. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth till now. I read this text last week. And not only the creation, and this is where we're stepping off into what Jesus is talking about here, but not only the creation, but we ourselves have, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. You're a Christian. Christians sin. Christians fight. Christians struggle. Paul says we who have the first fruit of the Spirit are groaning within ourselves even now. Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for what? Our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What this picture is, is that Jesus walks up to that slave block where you have no value. You're naked. You bring nothing to the table. The world is bidding on you just for what you can give them today. And have no doubt the world doesn't care a thing about you uh, except what you can pay. The world is bidding against you. And Jesus comes and he outbids the world because he bids his blood. And then he's bought you as a slave and then he does the shocking thing and adopts you as a son. I want you to understand how amazingly shocking this information is. 
that the God that created the universe bought you off the auction block and doesn't just use you as a slave. He's now adopted you as a son. Don't get it twisted. I'm not saying sons and daughters for a reason because the son has full right to inheritance. You have need of nothing. Your father owns everything. And whether you're a male or female, whether you, no matter how badly you've sinned in the past, no matter what you've done, he's your father. And everything that he has is yours. And so, as we see this world falling apart, what Jesus is saying here is, lift up your head, look to the clouds. He's coming back. And he's not just coming back, he's coming back for you. The Father's coming home. And so as we see our world falling apart, I don't know or care who's going to win the election on Tuesday. Doesn't matter. I'm not looking to this world for my redemption. I don't know what the statistics next week are going to be on COVID. And I don't care, because I'm not looking to this world for my redemption. I don't know what new natural disaster is going to occur, whether it's going to be a hurricane, whether it's going to be a mudslide, whether it's going to be forest fires. I don't care. This world is not my home. I have been redeemed. As the old hymn says, Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever I am. Father God, apply your words to our heart. Oh God, forgive us for how often we stare at the world around us. We stare at our feet, concerned more about tomorrow than we are eternity. God, help us to lift up our backs, look to heaven, and live our life today in the light of eternity, that we care more about the person in the voting booth next to us eternity than we do who they're voting for. God, change us. Wash us from our mealy-mouthed worldly ways Help us to live in the light of our redemption. Help us to realize we've been bought with a price. We've been adopted. And we are yours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.